and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. His name is Tim Elliott. Mine's Brian Hughes. Say hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. I'm sorry, just messing with you. <laughs> so, Tim, what are we doing today? Well, we are, this is part three. Are we concerning us part three of our Dark Phoenix start saga? It may covered? be part three and four. I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're going to, this episode is going to start as part three, covering... Uh, Uncanny X-Men number 137, mm-hmm. the double-sized issue. Boy, that's a lot of work. You didn't do all that work, did you? No. No, 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 no. We brought, no, no, no. We brought in the we, interns. We brought in some interns, yeah. <laughs> Say hi, guys. Say, there's John Hyatt. There's David Thompson. Hi. hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? And David, have I been getting your name right all this time? Because I know I really screwed up a couple months back. Uh, you, you have oh on on uh, the message board. <laughs> Somewhere there, I screwed it up. Oh, I never let okay. these things down. So you know, it's like sugar lips. I'm never gonna live that down. And nope. Someday no, it's I'm, very it's a very masculine nickname too. If it was good enough for Gil Kane, it's good enough for you. Damn, Gil Kane, man, that guy knew anatomy. There Especially was nobody better. Nobody better at the nose. Mm-hmm. So. X-Men 137. We're going to have fun, guys. Yeah, it's a good read. <laughs> this is just, uh, I mean, you, you just think it can't get any bigger or massive, and it does. And the story is just <laughs> something else. Now, come on. <laughs> Don't blame him for what you're thinking. <laughs> Do you want me to redo that? <laughs> this is a family show. <laughs> I hey, didn't guys. say anything. Yeah, I, I noticed that our our Shatner show got an explicit on it. What happened? I did just because of uh, just because I didn't cut out. You know, I wasn't going to cut out any of Shatner's stuff. He has to use a you know a couple choice words in there. So oh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> he sure did. So I made sure. I said he. I said I said he has some salty language in this. That's one salty dog. Now, did you not get any recordings of of John Burns? Q&A. I didn't go to his because I was in line to get my picture oh. with Shatner, so I couldn't make it to uh, Burns' panel. I assumed it was kind of the same panel I heard in Boston, but uh, well, I mean, when you're dictated by the questions coming in from the audience, it seems like every show would be different. True, but yeah. I just I couldn't get out. Shatner was running late, then. and I I couldn't get in any day but Sunday. Just that's the way things ran for me, and I really wanted to be there Sunday for the. Shatner burn experience. Yeah, because I thought there was going to be they were going to talk, and I was going to record that. But it turns out uh, they just signed. I know, I know. And then there was no one there de- selling art, which also was I, I was no, I was prepared no for that. I had cash in hand. She wasn't selling art. Burn sold art in Boston, and I bought a piece, but he didn't have anything in Dallas. You know, he doesn't he doesn't do any prints or anything. You know, obviously for those that don't want to break out the credit card to. Uh... No, he didn't have in Boston. He had just original pages, and they had a couple of his books. You know, you could buy. It, it wasn't like the Zex table where Mike Zek had a lot of prints of all his right. covers and some of his other stuff that were pretty nice. But yeah, I, I actually bought some some of those from Joe Rubenstein. He uh, to- completely inked the Captain America pages from uh, two fifty Captain America two fifty five. You know, yeah, the, the two page spread. He'd done that and inked that uh, over the burned pencils. Mm. And so I got a print of that, and then uh, Art Adams, of course, uh, had had a bunch of prints of, of you know from his thing from his X Men with the uh, when with the New Mutants up and with the Norse gods and all that. Oh, his, he did the annuals, didn't he? 
Yeah, with, with Terry Austin inking those, too, yeah. which is beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Terry Austin. Well, actually, we are going to talk about we Terry can, Austin. We can mention we? Terry Austin. We've got to mention Terry Austin because he's involved in this. Yeah. yeah, he was amazing part of this as well. But, you know, i, I got to tell you, in, in my prep for this, I went ahead and read read this all the way through. And then I went and read Phoenix, the Untold Story. Mm-hmm. I watched the the Dark Phoenix saga from the X-Men cartoon, and I had to go on YouTube to watch it. I watched that, too. Which is so messed that. up because it's like in a shrunken corner oh, yeah. you know, when you do that. And, of course, uh, the the resolution is really pretty bad on it. But, I mean, I watched it when, it when they showed it live. I had it recorded, and I must have watched right. it, you know, 50 times back then. But you know, I mean, the, watching it now, it's like so more, so much more melodramatic than I remember it being. You know, so so kind of cheesy and hammy. But at the same time, they said some of those lines. So there were some very. There was. I, I was a pr- surprised at how faithful it yeah. was. To yeah. The, uh, they just switched some characters around. Obviously, Rogue was in for Colossus. Colossus. There was no. Uh, There's no Nightcrawler. No Angel. So they just switch people around, and in some cases they've lifted whole uh, chunks of dialogue. Yep. And even you could see where they they had kind of animated uh, or panels from the book. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, they did a great job on that whole segment where Gene used the dust to come up, mm-hmm. and, and that sequence with Cyclops. But the the sequence between Rogue and Gladiator. Of course, is the one that always got me, just because that was that perfect representation of the fight with Colossus. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. Was I was watching it? They give credit to Claremont, not mm-hmm. to Claremont and Byrne. It says based on stories by Chris Claremont. Byrne's not giving any credit that I could see. Yeah, oh, I don't know why that is, and I just yeah. But I mean, he's used to that kind of treatment because well, a, a lot of people. What Paul McCarthy used to always get left off of things because Lennon's name came first. So a lot of the songs they wrote together always said John Lennon, but actually it was Lennon McCarthy. And because of the, the way they printed them, they just left off the McCarthy part. But they were, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's funny though because I mean, you know, you know, Byrne has always been openly uh, critical of, of Claremont and some of the choices he makes. He doesn't like how cliched he gets from time to time, and he uses so many of his. Claremontisms, if you want to call it that. I always thought of Byrne as being more like Lennon and Claremont being more like McCartney because Lennon was so critical of McCartney at times. Yeah. And well, and John Byrne is one that to criticize Chris Claremont for Claremontisms when we've got a lot of Byrne tropes and ways that Byrne does things that are very consistent with his artwork and storytelling style. So It's always easier to see others' faults than your own. <laughs> and, and that's one of those things that's kind of funny because, you know, reading Byrne's opinions on his website, one of the things that, that he, he really wants to shy away from as a writer now is giving away the whole barn or the whole farm in information. You know, basically how basically he wished there was that books like a hot mood didn't exist. And, you know, when people start asking all the questions about the whys and wherefores, like right now, there's a uh, a thread about the Cree and the skin color of the Cree. Why is it different? You know, and I'm like, wait, you look at Earth and everybody, you know, we've got how many different shades of color in, in, in our skin color? Exactly. Yeah, and uh, you're, they you're never because you've got blue Cree and pink Cree. What's you know? just doesn't make sense that's that's the star trek 
the problem they have of have monocultures where whatever you know you meet this culture for the first time they're all like this one representation and they hey, all wear the same clothes too same clothes same they all they like that they all have kind of the same mindset like it's a silver Klingons. jumpsuit and we're set <laughs> yeah silver jumpsuit with a v-neck <laughs> and and you know con- consequently when the movies and the next gen and now discovery came out and they represented the klingons differently fans lost their mind because they don't look like the same no. Klingons from the original series it's like what wait wait those uh, aren't uh, Klingons. It's I'll, like, I'll, I'll, i was in that camp i was in that camp i didn't like the discovery i didn't like the well, discovery klingons i didn't like the discovery klingon design either but it's still part of the thing, but the anyway. Design, the design didn't bother me. What bothered me was that it took them six minutes to say three, 30 seconds worth of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> they, uh, they, they had to cough all that stuff out through those fake teeth. I mean, yeah. that was... <laughs> Just that was painful. You can imagine the, the amount of lozenges they had on that set. <laughs> all right, Welcome guys. to Star Trek talk. X-Men. Yeah, let's get back to X-Men 137. How's that? Okay, okay. <laughs> Smooth, okay. John. So, so here we are. So you want to give us, or uh, do you want to give us I, the particulars, and then we'll go I, on what came out. I've got some. Uh, yeah, let's let's we'll do some particulars. So cover date September 1980, on sale June 17th 1980. I got this in a brown wrapper in my PO box in a small town in Utah. I don't know, sometime in June, I'm sure, and uh, thought and lost my mind. So that was me. <laughs> Art are the um, the writers and plotters. Co-plotter, penciler is Chris Claremont and John L. Byrne. Inker, Terry Austin. Letterer, Tom Orzakowski. Linker, Inker, Glennis Wynn. Editors. Wait, wait, wait. Inker? You mean colorist. Uh, I had written down Inker. So Terry, o- yeah. Terry Austin's an yep. Inker. You're right. Colorist, Glennis Wynn. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Editor, Jim Salakrup and Louise Jones. Editor-in-Chief, the big Jim Shooter. Those are the particulars, and it's been reprinted ad nauseum, several different types of trade paperbacks and uh, all kinds of cool things, such as the 30th anniversary, which I have open, uh, the very cool regular trade paperback that has just the 129 through 137 with the awesome Sienkiewicz cover and other covers, classic X-Men monthlies back in what the 90s i think those were early 90s mm-hmm. and uh essential x-men and omnibus or omnibuy so <laughs> it's it's been told in a lot of different ways so it's really cool so let's get us up to date how's that that's cool uh let's see what else what else came out that month though oh yeah do that uh captain Jeez, america you... number 249 I death where is thy sting <laughs> Um, a Fantastic Four reprint in French. Woo. <laughs> oui, oui. Uh, it is French. Can you not tell about the outrageous accent? Okay. <laughs> and then X-Men 137, Fate of the Phoenix. Of course, is a double and size. That, uh, took all a of your French me. listeners just plit and hit and stop. <laughs> <laughs> we will not listen to this anymore. We will go and smoke. No, no, no. The French have a great sense of humor. They're yeah, still, they they're still they, listening. They love all Jerry right. Lewis, okay? Besides, I'm part French. So, uh-huh. I mean, my whole name comes from the French Huguenots. So... Yeah, right. I still, I still need to do one of those blood test things to see where it all comes from. I mean, I know I'm just a mutt from you know Northern Europe, but hey, 
Mm-hmm. Aren't we Aren't all? Aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, John Byrne had a light month, apparently. No! That Fate of the Phoenix, man, that was a double-sized issue. Right, well, compared so to like some of his other books. months previously, where he had like six, seven books on the docket, and it's like... Uh, yeah, it was like it was like he did three here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, that's light, light fare for him. Light for Mr. Byrne. Yes. And we appreciate it. All right. Recap? Recap. And listeners, if you thought you had a bad week, you haven't. Uh, you haven't been with the X-Men from getting attacked at a malt shop, battling the, or fighting the White Queen to rescue two cool mutants, then battling the Hellfire Club uh, inner circle, only to have your best friend, your sister, your lover, go zonkers, attack you and zoom off into space to consume a star, obliterate five billion people, and all by hump day. Dark Phoenix returns to Earth, and the battle royale ensues. Dark Phoenix is barely vanquished. All is well. Time to go back to the mansion, recoup, and get things uh, going back again. Not quite. The Shi'ar abduct the X-Men, tell them that Dark Phoenix's casual genocide <laughs> declare that she must be put to death. Xavier challenges Liliandra to a Shi'ar duel of honor that cannot be refused. After conferring with the Kree and the Skrulls, Lalandra agrees to Xavier's demand. The X-Men, oh, the next day, or no, the, the X-Men contemplate the information that they have learned and decide to fight for their friend. Jean and Scott declare their devotion, and Jean decides to go to battle as Marvel Girl. The next day, the X-Men and the Legion of Superheroes, I mean the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, are teleported to the blue area of the moon to do battle with victors deciding the fate of the Phoenix. Uh, well, you lost my place. The Imperial Guard defeat most of the X-Men, leaving Cyclops and Phoenix alone to make a final... Cheat! They cheated! They cheated! <laughs> when Cyclops is seemingly killed, Jean's panic overrides Xavier's psychic restraints and restores her to Dark Phoenix. Lilandra initiates Plan Omega, which would consist of destroying the entire solar system in the hopes of eliminating Dark Phoenix in the process. Xavier does his magic mind meld on the X-Men to wake them up and sub- and uh, ask them to subdue Jean to preempt Lilandra's emergency measure. They battle her until she regains her senses. Running inside one of the Blue Area's ruins, Jean affirms that it's the only way, since she doesn't want to live in fear that the Dark Phoenix will take over again. Then she activates an ancient Kree rep- weapon, which disintegrates her after an emotional goodbye to Cyclops with plenty of tears. He thinks this was her plan overall. The story ends with Uatu the Watcher commenting that Jean Grey could have become a god, but it was more important for her that she die a human. End. That's our recap. Very good, Sonatas. Very nice. Well done. Thank you. Part of it was from Wikipedia. Quick and to the point. Yeah. Yeah. Succinct, yes. (laughs) Well, a lot of this, a lot of this uh, issue is punchy, punchy, run, run. So it's just a lot of, you know. Yeah, it definitely was. Let's get to the cover, gentlemen and listeners. What do you think of the cover? It shows Cyclops and Fien- uh, Marvel Girl, uh, both in power, using their powers uh, in a pose, kind of from the bottom, looking up at them as they're fighting for their lives. And I can imagine exactly when this was. And the Earth's up there in the back, 
and uh, the X-Men logo has been fully restored. It is no longer cracked, and it is a special double-sized issue, which could be worth $2,500. I hate that banner that they've got across that. <laughs> Everybody hates that of banner. Of this particular uh, issue. I know, right? So what do you think, gentlemen? Phoenix must die. It, it so I will just throw out there first that I... I really like this cover. I, I really like any cover that shows, you know, the costumes, you know, tattered and torn, you know, uh, Reed Richards' unstable molecules be damned. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right? it, you know, I, I, I like this because it shows right off the bat that they're in trouble, right? They are fighting for their lives. Um, you just get that from uh, the drawing here from this pose of Cyclops, you know, kind of holding himself up by the wall there and Jean's arm outstretched. Cyclops is blasting Jean's um, throwing, you know, rocks, um, debris at the attackers. And they look like they're in trouble. Like this is they're, they're getting backed into a corner. So I, I really like it. I, as a kid, I was confused by the cover. Really? Well, I, I, you got to remember what I was saying before, that I had such a hard time getting the issues that I even missed issue 136 when it initially came out. Mm-hmm. So I had 135. I knew Jean was coming back to Earth and she was hungry. And then I find this one uh, you know, at, at my Utotem, and I'm like, who's this gal in green here? Oh, right. That's right. Because <laughs> I had yeah, no I idea see. what happened there. And I had no idea about, you know, Marvel Girl, you know, right. you know, the last time I saw her in any other costume than Phoenix was the original X-Men black and um, or blue and, and yellow costume. So okay. I'd never seen her in this Marvel Girl costume. Again, you know, the next issue, of course, shows it, you know, a lot. But yeah. so I was like, wait, what's what's going on here? What is it? What's happening? Oh, my gosh. And of course, you know, you get into the the book, and of course, you know, everything is made clear there. But if, you know, just seeing the cover, and I could not get home fast enough. It's an <laughs> it was an exact half mile from the Utotem to my house, and I ready? would Bye. not I would not read it until I got home. No, I was walking. Oh, um, I, I I would not read it until I got home, and I was just like I I, I was running for all you know for all I was worth. And because uh, it's like, I mean, again, remember, this is 1980. So mm-hmm. I, went, I went to the store to get a comic book, but I also got a drink. And it was like one of those 32-ounce Sprites <laughs> in the glass bottle. Whoa, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. It was in the glass oh. bottle. So I'm sitting there 30? trying to run carrying that and carrying a comic book not and trying not to damage the comic book. Damn the damn the soda pop, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know Let what? It. It's like I got home. I was like like out of breath. I was trying to calm down. I, I I put the comic book down on the table. Went to the kitchen to get a glass. I opened that sprite and it spewed all over the place. I'm sure, it did. <laughs> At least not on X Men One Thirty Seven. No, it didn't because that was in the on the table. Oh mm. god. So and then your mom saw the cover, and she was like, you're not reading any books with half-naked ladies on it. <laughs> I don't even think, you know, I think when, when parents look at the cover of something like this, it's like listening to Charlie Brown's teacher. They don't actually comprehend what it is. They just see the wah-wah-wah-wah on the cover, and it doesn't mean anything to them. Because yeah. at this day and age, not only was I buying this, but I was also able to buy, like, Creepy and Vampirilla 
you know, the right. war, the Warren Publishing magazines that yeah, it's nineteen eighty freewheeling. You're buying smokes, getting you know, getting your Jack Daniels at the corner store. <laughs> Well, everything, no, I mean, you know, the thing is, those guys went. at the Utonum, they of course they wouldn't sell a kid my age a Playboy. Not that I didn't try, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't. They, they had no clue about. I the, would like to buy this magazine, this fine magazine, please. <laughs> it's for my dad. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's the same my guy father that told me to come down here and buy some. What are they called? Cigarettes and the pl- Boys of Play magazine. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, it's 1980. Brian's probably hopped up on Boone's Farm. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, ultimately, though, I did sit down and read it, and of course, that that was like that was one of the books that affected me emotionally as a kid. Where you know you read it, of course, hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. your your access to comic books was was limited. So what you could get, I mean, in, in your case, John, you, well, by what you got in the mail and, you know, for you rich, fancy kids. And <laughs> for, I, mean, I saved up a lot of pennies for that, I'll tell you, uh, and, and got a lot of A's to get those extra $1 bills so that I could buy comic book subscriptions. But the um, hard times. The, the, yeah, the well, thing is, that after this, you know, I was still reading like um, Amazing Adventures, which was the reprints of the Lee Kirby stories. I love those. And of course, that a, a lot of that stuff in the early eight, eight, the, the early stuff was uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which had Magneto, mm-hmm. of course, but it had Mastermind. Yes. And, and and the thing is, you blame Mastermind for what happened to Gene. You blame the whole Dark Phoenix thing on him because he's the one that seduced her and made her do evil things and that just and, pushed her over the edge yes yeah he got his come up and so yeah you got did. that all from the cover oh my god no no i'm just uh, <laughs> i was giving you my story brian brian is a deep introspective man yes i am yes, yes, comic so, books screwed me up for life <laughs> but tim what do you think of the cover i liked it bad. i liked it yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, it's it's. Not, I mean, I hate I hate the banner up top, but because uh, I, you know, I don't. Maybe if it's, I don't know, what's this worth? If it's and, and if you got like this is a nine point nine, it may be worth twenty five hundred dollars or Nowadays. more. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know I'm looking right now. Hold, you're you're I mean, not going to get a nine point nine. No, you're not no. going to get that. But Ooh. maybe nine point eight. dot com. I do yeah, like the. Uh, nobody cares about that. It's about three hundred bucks for a CGC nine dot eight. Mm. Okay. Yeah, looking up at Overstreet. Does wow. Overstreet even still publish anything? Over as a uh, mm. as a person steeped in comic book sales right now, um, Overstreet's a good reference guide. You know, there's like a baseline, uh, but eBay is the the king of you yeah, know, what's what's it selling for now? What if I'm willing to yeah. pay, that's what it's worth. Yeah. If I'm putting some money on up for sale, I'll look at what it's going for on eBay. That's where I can start my. Yeah. My uh, my uh, my my starting price. Yeah, yeah. a nine point nine graded three sixty one, a ten, which is impossible, is five seventy six. Is it five hundred? That's it. Well, you well, know, I'm not going to pay five hundred bucks for something that I can't look at. Right, and so you can get it. You know, that's not if it's graded, but it's not slabbed. You can get it for about a hundred and thirty. Okay. Yeah. So that's not bad. I think I bought mine off Scott Gardner when he was selling a lot of his stuff, and I got it pretty. It's not in great shape, but it, hey, it's He's doing the dump. Yeah, yeah. He was he needed some kind of well, 
financial uh, boost. I enjoyed the cover as well, and I agree with Dave that it really that Barnes gives you a lot of what's happening right there in that cover. The the desperation that they're in, the fighting for their life, the the battle that they've been through already, just really is shown right there in their faces and in their poses. And I think the the upshot really emphasizes that that emotion and that drama that we're that we're that we're feeling. Well, that makes them so vulnerable by having them so low in the frame and looking up at you. Uh, it makes them seem vulnerable, and like you said, they're in a corner. Uh, and it does it does exactly what it's supposed to. Do. It made you pick this up off the rack and want to open it up and look at it. You say what's going on? But, yeah. and I, I, I'm going to get a little Brian here, but what's her left <laughs> foot standing on? Uh, yeah, it's a little low, isn't it? Yeah. There's a little shelf there. There's, yeah, there's a little there's yeah. an indent between the two blocks. It, it, it just looks like she's standing on nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, like I never like ever noticed away. that. You're right, I didn't either. <laughs> Thanks for ruining it for us. Now. now I can never look to cover the same again. And if you look behind her, what is? Do you catch anything in that little T shape? I never noticed it's a face. It looks like a tiki. Yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah. it's from Easter Island. And now yeah. we know where the Easter Island folks went to or came from. <laughs> no, that's Megatron. That's Megatron from the Transformers. <laughs> so I have the Bowen statue of this, and and that is, I'll tell you what, really cool, that statue. And it's really faithful to the cover. You need to put a picture on so we can post it up with it. Oh, I will, absolutely, sure. Absolutely. Is it one of those statues that kind of replicates the cover, or is it just... Scott and Gene in that pose. It kind of repl- replicates the cover. You see he's holding on to the, the bricks there as part of it. It doesn't have their I-beam or their oh, okay. the representation of that, because. Uh, but pretty much it has the pose, what they're standing on, uh, the, the bricks that he's holding on to, and the exact same thing, only it's 3D, and it's actually pretty cool. Wow. And very close. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send a picture. I'll send some pictures to you to post. But it is very close. They, they faithfully re, uh, reproduced the cover in 3D for this statue, and it was one of the very first statues I ever bought. So it was really cool. Nice. That's cool. So John Byrne created an alternate cover for Classic X Men 43 when the story was reprinted in that series in the 1990s. What do you? I sent this to you folks. What do you think of it as an alternative? Now it kind of looks like by the style that it was drawn at the time of Classic X Men Forty Three. Yeah. I don't think it was an alternate cover that he had laying around, and they chose this other one instead of uh, the one that actually ended up on the published uh, issue. No, the, the art is definitely different. Yeah. It's, so what it's do you changed. think of it? It's a very similar pose. It actually looks like it's right after they came out of that alcove. I I'll go first again since I went first in the last round. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as dynamic personally. It, you know, in term okay. So if I rate it based on the artwork itself, there's a lot more detail in the backgrounds, in the characters that we're seeing. The uh, we got the uh, what is it? A ship? No, it's a the the Shiar. The Shiar. Yep, flying. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I have a really art. small little picture. It's it's in my trade in mm-hmm. the back. Um, I don't think personally. I don't think it's as dynamic. I think the original cover conveys a lot more emotion, and you know the desperate situation that they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. The thing about this one here is—is is that the the guy that can 
change his size there with the Imperial Guard, the one at the back of the of the group flying? No, I think that's the Lightning Lad character. Um, I don't remember his name right now. Yeah. <laughs> Smasher? Yeah. Smasher's Ultra Boy. Oh, is he? Yeah. See, I, I, I caught the Sun Boy version. I caught the uh, Ultra Boy. I didn't see the Lightning Lad. So we'll have to figure out who that is once we get into that. But And that was the question here, because this guy here, I mean, he looks larger than the rest of them. I don't know if that's just because he's closer, but he seems to be behind somebody and yet larger than them. You know, oh, maybe it is Maybe it is that character, then. I'll have to... We never saw him actually on the moon, though. That's the thing. Mm, yeah. That's... And, and, I mean, because the, the number of guardsmen apparently was actually rather limited compared to how many they had. I guess they could only have one for every X-Men. But, uh, that I mean, still, I, I love this image, though Cyclops' head looks a little extended. Looks like an old man. But, uh, a turtle, like a turtle. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're right, it does. Yeah. Well, I think that was the evolution of his art. It kind of went into that where he was seemed to be getting a little bit more, trying to be more finely detailed and more true to human form or whatever. But, yeah, it was a little bit bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I kind of like... You're right, Dave. It's it's not as dynamic as a cover. It would make a great interior page. It'd make a great poster on my wall, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say no to that, that's for sure. All right, uh, do we want to go into the book? Sure. I thought you'd be afraid. Mm. Um, I'll tell you, uh, in my trade paperback, the the you know the opening page, of course, of The Watcher, opposite it is a uh, Calvin Klein underwear ad for, with Colossus. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> I'm just like okay that's that's a great thing to put in there like a, a page separator I guess <laughs> and, and you want to hear something really funny only just now only just like five minutes ago did I notice on the opening splash page one of the monitors is on the Baxter building one of the what is uh, oh, no, it is. Yeah, next yeah. to the monitor's hand. Oh, uh, next to you're the, right. the hand, there's there's monitors. One showing just Kirby Crackle, and one showing the Baxter Building. And I can't see what's on the third one because of the word bubbles. That is the Baxter Building. You're right. Yeah. So he's keeping an eye on them. He's watching them. But what is that 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 planet or or whatever in the background behind his head? That's not Earth. That's too close. Sun. Let's see, we see the sun. Yeah. I don't know. He's on the moon. So it can't What's, be the moon. That's for Atu to know. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, a he's summer, got, he's, a summer home. He's got some of the... His windows can replicate whatever kind of environment he wants. He doesn't and, have to look yeah, at him. There's the, uh, the moon. That's right. And he puts these nice little, like, ferns and plants down in there, too. <laughs> Hey, as you, you know, as you do, really trying to well, make you, a nice home. There. You're, you're stuck on the moon all the time. You want you want something that makes it a little homey. Come right. on. Man. I bet he's got a, a great rug that just ties the whole room together. Now, do, do the Marvel artists argue about the shape of the Watcher's head? Oh, don't. It, we could spend an hour on, <laughs> uh, you know, Oatu, the, the way he changes between different books and, you know, uh, this representation versus original versus now. I mean, this, this, this particular character, I think, has gone through more costume changes and body designs than probably anybody. It's it's a I don't know I, I prefer the classic you know this is this is you know more classic representation you know bigger head smaller body 
Do you yeah. prefer the more proportionate size of where he's? I like this just, actually myself. Yeah, yeah, it makes him look some more alien. But, yeah, I, I like this. This is this is the to me this is the more classic uh, design. You know the you know he's he's clearly a different race. Uh, you know he's he's uh, uh, obviously not prepared for battle, and he's a very big fan <laughs> of the Greek and Roman times. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: What do you think? Uh, Claremont and Byrne decided to bring the Watcher in for this final story because you know he's breaking the fourth wall here. He's, as he does, he's addressing us, the audience. Well, I mean, did uh, he ever do that outside of What If? He only broke the fourth wall in What If, right? Pretty much, yeah. because my in, knowledge, in, yeah. In his appearance I mean, in Fantastic Four and all that, he was just a character like the rest of them. He wasn't a narrator or anything. I mean, it does. It does lend itself to make it a little more epic because you've got yes. this character. Or do you also think that maybe in the back of their mind were they thinking, well, this gives us an out because this could be just one of Owatu's stories. So what if later down that well, we obviously retconned it anyway. Yeah, oh, see, so. I, I I don't think so. I think no. they were trying to just make it extra grand, yeah, grand, extra just, weight. Yeah, this know, is basically letting weird. you know it's a Greek tragedy. Yeah, but, he's yeah. here. Something big is going to happen. It gives. It also gives them the storyteller. I think they're what they're doing is it seems like they're really shifting it to now we're now we're we are the audience of a story and Watu is telling us the story and I, and this gives them the the narrative the narrator that so they can do all the exposition through him in a, in a different way than they normally have in Marvel comics. Right, I, and I, I agree. I think it allows him to comment on the story more organically than if. These, if the characters were spouting this off, it makes it it's easier that if Awatu says this and kind of comments because he's kind of pulled back and he's he's not he's more impartial. Yeah. Plus that that was Awatu's position was to be the watcher and to record the story. So it's really cool because it's bringing in the greater Marvel universe by bringing Uatu into this story and saying, I'm witnessing the tragedy and I'm telling the story. And it just so happens that he's breaking the fourth wall in this course, which he has already been doing with the awesome what if comics and telling us the story with that. So it's, it's, it's a really, I think it's really effective and a really interesting and nice way to add to this final chapter of the story. And he couldn't help it. You know, he's he's just chilling out at home. All this stuff goes on right next door. He's got to watch it. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. Now, how yeah. are you guys uh, reading this? Are you going from a trade paperback? I am. Yep. I'm I, reading it digital. I'm reading my digital scan. Now, yes. I, the Ryan, would you think we would actually take out our original copies? <laughs> If I still had them, I would, just so I could see all the other stuff and smell it and then enjoy it the uh, way I can with old comics. Smell. Yeah. The smell makes me have to go to the bathroom. Uh, okay. Something right, happens stop. to me when I walk into a bookstore. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for sharing. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but, but I was sitting there looking at, at you know the trade paperback, and I, I had two different digital copies. I've got the, the classic X-Men copy, and I've got the original 137 uh, both are both are digital CBRs, and I'm noticing that that whatever they did on the classic X-Men, they didn't do it any favors because they they they've taken out some of the reds mm. from there, and then the the shading all around Uatu's face is just hideous because the, zip, the zipatone is so much more pronounced 
on that than it is on the the trade paperback, which looks really good and original uh, that looks really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reading the mind scan of the uh, masterworks, and they it looks beautiful. They don't have. Yeah. Now let me ask you: underneath the watcher, right there, in between his legs, do you see a red line going up? No. Like a red mark. Nope. No. No. Mm-mm. See, I see it both in the original uh, copy and in my trade paperback. And then mm-hmm. over the the watcher's um, left shoulder, uh, where his uh, little black cloak thing that goes around his head, right where that V's, is a red spot mm. in both those copies yeah. I have, but not on yours. <laughs> Mine's cleaned up. You know, in my uh, trade paperback, the uh, which I think came out like 1990-something or other, that with the Sienkiewicz, it's not the original 80s one, it was 1991. I have those red marks, but in my 30th anniversary edition, they have been cleaned up. Yeah. So that must be a an inking error or, or not Col- not glass wine, but yeah. I mean a, a printing error. Yeah, yeah. some the, kind of The dot problem. is a very tiny digital copy of John Burns' head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to stop commenting about those things, but I thought I'd so, bring that up. I want to bring something up here about a comment that Uatu makes about Jean as he's recounting his, how he's uh, observed her growing. He says, I saw her reborn as Phoenix, though she did not know it then. Jean had become one with the primal force, second only to that of the creator. It was more power than she or any human could ever hope to control in time. It twisted her until she be, was transfigured into Dark Phoenix. So, do you guys think that this is where they were still trying to lay the groundwork that Phoenix was a separate entity, or was she just Phoenix, uh, Jean Grey, Marvel Girl that was super empowered by a solar flare that kind of amped up her abilities and uh, created, and then she was able to tap into the cosmic energies through the uh, McCran crystal that eventually created uh, the Dark Phoenix? See, I think or- I think the retcon. This yeah. is where it gets tricky because yeah. I know we're going to have a, you know, separate discussion about kind of what came after the story. Um, if you if you read, you know, Phoenix Rising, there's, you know, and, and I'm trying not to give you know too much away, but I think this particular dialogue by the Watcher here actually paints them into a corner on trying to retcon it because here he's giving confirmation that to what you just said, John, that it's this is Jean, but Jean, you know, at her max power level because of the Phoenix. And that's how I read her at when I was reading the story. I didn't read any separate entity or anything like that. And in one of the commentaries that we'll talk about at some point, Chris and John Byrne tried to say that, yeah, we tried to make it so that it was like as if it was a it wasn't Jean. It was this. She was taken over by an entity, but they didn't effectively create that in the prior six issues. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't, Wolverine, I don't think... Wolverine, though, he actually gives the the groundwork, everything that Kurt Busiek <laughs> needed to be able to retcon it. If you read his his stuff in this in this particular story, especially the night before the fight, okay. he's the one that says there are there's two sides of Jean. There's Jean. And then there's Phoenix. I think he's referring to his own kind of duality of his own personality. There's the wild side of Wolverine. Then there's the civilized side. I think yeah. that's what he's referring to. That there is. I, I, I think they just they're trying to say that they they wrote this thinking, well, we've we've created ourselves a backdoor. Uh, 
I, I kind of agree you, John. I don't think they they did that because I never got that impression reading it. I always thought it was just Jean. She's got overpowered and, and she couldn't handle it, and she got corrupt. And that's and in a way, she may have kind of developed a separate personality, but it's still the same person. It's not a a recreation of her. Yeah. So I think it's just something. I don't know why they decided to uh, later on when it gets retcon that they decided to say, well, that was our intention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, l- listen to this. This is this is Wolverine's dialogue. He goes, nobody understands Jeannie like I do. That she's become two separate entities. Jean Grey and Phoenix. Jean ain't a killer. She can't be held responsible for the Phoenix's actions. And then I he still... goes, but can the professor really split the two entities apart? I mean, that right there gives you everything you need to know to create. You, you know, can. That, that I think retcon. you can do a wreck on it. You can interpret it that way, right? I mean, yeah. But I don't know if that was necessary there. I still think they're taking, they're talking about a split personality or uh, her dark side and her and her and her good side. I don't think it's she's. I don't they think that's what they're laying the groundwork for. I don't think they're trying to imply that. Well, this is a totally different. That Gene is on the bottom of the is it the Hudson, the bottom of the yeah. river in a cocoon, and this is a, a baby, just a, yeah. a, a just a recreation that thinks it's. That thinks it's, um, you know, it's like when they recreate uh, what's her name in Star Trek a motion picture, um, oh, yeah. Aaliyah. Yeah. They they think, oh, you've created too too close a copy, so it has all their emotions. So yeah. I don't. It, it it's it's hard to tell, and it's what forty years later, and possibly my thought is they just because they originally intended her to live and move on and have that her powers dampened down. So I, I and perhaps. Brian, when they rewrote the ending, they rewrote some of the dialogue to kind of implement that when they thought, wow, we weren't we didn't really think it was we didn't do a good enough job of doing what we thought we did, which was create a separate being. So I don't yeah, know. Because and that's a good point. Atu, Atu should have been able to say, all right, because he has the ability to, you know, see, you know, parallel Earths, right, or parallel um, timelines, basically. If if their intention was always to go back and say this wasn't Gene, right? This was a representation of Gene um, from the Phoenix. They should have put something in here to that effect, right? Granted, you'd have been shaking, you know, scratching your head in 1980, like what is he talking about? No, because again, uh, you know, back back in in 1980, as far as Berm was concerned, as far as the editors were concerned, yeah, Salakrup this is and, Gene. And, and and Gene. She was Jean, who got the power of the Phoenix, but she was still Jean. She became. And it correct. was only years later that you know they did that. Now, if that was Claremont's intention, because you know he had that tendency to go his own way when he got on his typewriter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not Claremont. <laughs> How yeah. dare you, sir? Yeah. Yeah, you got a little Claremonty there. <laughs> and I mean, and you're right because in the Phoenix the Untold Story the whole dialogue with Wolverine on that page is completely different talking about you know facing death. So you know it, when they originally wrote it they didn't even have that as a consideration. They had to come come up with alternate dialogue. And see now everybody's got a copy of Phoenix the Untold Story that hasn't read it yet is going wait alternate dialogue what. Mm-hmm. Yes, go read Phoenix the Untold Story after you read this and see the differences. It's like seeing the director's cut of the movie. Yeah, that would be great. Yep. And it would be great if we can do that. So let's turn the page. Let's get to uh, the Big fate of page. the Phoenix. Yeah. 
And that's that's wow. what I like about the uh, the classic X Men copy is that it actually does it over you know over the page, so you can actually see the whole whole thing. Whereas in both my other CBRs and the uh, graphic, you know, the the trade paperback, the way it's cut, you can't really get it. You Storm gets full cut in the fold. Yeah, that's too bad. It's still pretty amazing. Yes. Are there any Easter eggs? In the, in the aliens hiding in the background, did y'all notice anything? I mean, I, I see the one there behind Gene that's got the funky big eyes, but I can't equate it with anything. There's actually a very tiny Donald Trump up in the top right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you think there would be a the alien that, that Byrne likes to put in is from uh, the Puppet Masters, or the Puppet Master from... Uh, we covered it when we did Candid's Tale, uh, Brian. Uh, it's from a sci-fi author, uh, Larry Niven. Larry Niven, okay. Right, because he loves his work, and he always stinks, sneaks that that character. It kind of looks like a kind of like a giraffe with two heads, yeah. but I don't see it here anywhere. I don't see it. No. You know, the, the only thing that I find interesting are two things. On the top row, on each of the farthest right and left, on the farthest left, you have just a shadow, a black figure. Mm-hmm. What could that be? And on the far right, it looks like it's Mysterio, but I know it's not. But so the far left figure is, why is that just a black shadow rather than the lavender or whatever color, uh, monocolor alien? So that's kind of interesting to me that's right palpitating. now. That's palpitating. yes yes Uh, i I just have to point out that gene here uh this i mean it's just a dead ringer for uh the the actress that would play her later in the motion picture movie x-men uh famke jansen Jansen. Jansen. yes yeah fomka jansen fomka jansen fomka jansen I mean, literally, it looks like she just popped right off the page to go into the movie. And there she, the, his his expressions on, actually, his expressions on all of the ones that aren't masked are really, mm-hmm. really good. I love the expression on Beast. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm surprised uh, he didn't say, oh, my stars and garters, but yeah. I don't think we're in Kansas <laughs> anymore. Is so, so Beast at that time. He looks so Ralph Cramped in there. <laughs> Norton! Norton! Where are we? <laughs> but he looks so much better than his cat-like parents oh, I gave him later. I hate that. I hate um, that, too. I totally love this beast. Yeah. Uh, and well, and interesting that Cyclops looks so, like, pissed off still. He's just like, what the hell, man? <laughs> it's, it's totally conveyed with his, his words, you know. Everyone else is like, what the heck's going on? Where are we? Like Pete Piotr and Storm and even Wolverine's like, what? And here's uh, uh, Cyclops like, what the hell happened? You know, why are we, where are we, you know? Uh, so it's kind of cool. And, of course, they can't see where they are because everyone's behind them. Yeah, it makes me wonder about the perspective here as we see. Because, you know, look, you see Lalandra and Gladiator basically directly behind him but lower off the deck, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well they, set, they set the transporter for dramatic reveal uh, setting. Right. You know, yeah, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> dramatic reveal. So, yeah, they're all looking the wrong way. And so if you go to the next page, okay, Cyclops is now on the other end of the – no, he's on the same end of the platform, but Lalandra has now moved to the far side. And, you know, they're still below them, right? 
Yes. All right, that's right. You have is failed that, us, Byrne. Is that like a gold? Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's supposed to be gold. Her uh, scepter or whatever you want to call that that she's got. Right. Her staff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about this is if you compare it to the last panel of 135, yeah. in the transportation, they got shifted around. That's just a little minor thing. Because Storm was over behind Cyclops yep. on the last when they disappeared, and now she's in the middle. And, and Angel, Angel is on the other end, and he gets put yeah. in, the, in the middle as well. And Storm and Storm and Nightcrawler were uh, on the other side of Piotr and Xavier. Yeah. Yep. And the transport arranges them by height. Uh, well, it probably arranged them so that it could fit on that little square, maybe. <laughs> they were probably too that too. <laughs> They're lucky they didn't all appear. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't turn up to together. Be- Fused with a fly or something. Come out mush. So, so great reveal here. And then, of course, there's Gladiator. You stand in the presence of Lilandra, Mestrix. She are impressed. Your fate is in her hands. Very. So again, as you as you mentioned earlier, um, very Greek and uh, dramatic. Very dramatic. Yeah. You know, and it's and then, and then and you to your point that Cyclops is just. The rest are kind of in wonder, but Cyclops is still just aggravated because he's demanding, like, you know, what is going on? You know, we we yeah. saved your we saved you once from your your crazy brother, and now, you know, he was just he was. I think he was kind of at the end of his rope. He's like, I I've been through all this with the Hellfire Club, and then yeah. playing Phoenix, and it's like now she's back. Maybe we can go home and get some sleep. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And now he's like, no, now I get whisked away to a to a spaceship. He wasn't wanting to sleep. He just proposed marriage. Yeah, wow. I think he wanted. I think he was probably want some sleep. I don't. He, he probably wanted to go to bed. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. He probably he wanted those sandwiches that were at the mansion. That's right. Like, that's right. <laughs> Wait for those cheese sandwiches. Um, I think we mentioned that before about how you know if you if you take these issues you know as as trying to piece together you know some kind of timeline of of the events you know this I mean this just keeps the kits just keep on coming right yeah. for them yeah. like. Give them a break. You know, they've had like one breather throughout this entire saga. Yeah. And, and that was going and going and going. And that was after Massachusetts. So uh, in 130, 129 and 130 or 131. So, yeah, they this has just been like a couple of days that they've been doing this. And this was back for me when Cyclops was actually a nice character. I liked I like this version of Cyclops. I don't like how they transformed him into kind of an idiot and a jerk later. So I like this Cyclops. So I can pick Cyclops. My retcon, the White Queen totally just changes personality. Oh, okay. okay. To make her love, make him love her. I'll yeah. buy that. Because yep. I, I never liked that relationship either. No prize. Yep. <laughs> All right, next page. So here well, we are. That's Slim Summers there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, they they got moved around on the platform, or the platform got moved around so it's closer to Lalandra, who's on the other side. Maybe again for dramatic effect, you've got the two transporter techs in the background. Maybe they can turn it. Yeah, you know, like maybe. Our, yeah, <laughs> one of those display pedestals. They just turned it. Or or she walked around as she was talking. She did say a lot. I'm sure they're they're I'm sure they're 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 moseying around on that platform. You know, as yeah. as Gladiator gives us his little recap of the previous. They uh, all two issues. 
I just love the that middle panel there where Lalandra's talking and you got Gladiator on one side, Araki on the other, and then you can see the 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 Sun Boy, the Kree, Skrull, Smasher, and all those others behind it. And, and it's there's very few artists that can sit there and throw that many characters in that smaller panel, and you can tell the, who's who's who. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, and by the way, that was Titan on the cover of that alternate cover, uh, the Colossal Boy person. Okay. Yeah. That's, so here we have know. Smasher, which is the Ultra Boy mm-hmm. thing. So we got a Cree and Scroll back there. I love the look that John Byrne did on Jean's face here. She's when she, it so matches her words. Phoenix, me, why? And it's almost like she's truly clueless as to what happened. What's happened? She doesn't, yeah, doesn't remember like the last 24 hours. Yeah, isn't that something else? And it's yeah, so yeah. conveyed in the expression that he put on her face, in her eyes, in her mouth. Uh, the hair's not flowing. It's just normal. She's back down to being like a human-level person. And the artwork is just... And you can even see, even in Cyclopses, who has this mask and this eye visor, you can see the anger in his in his expression. Just well, that's, from his that's mouth. his woman. It's his woman, right? So he's yeah. he's lashing out. I have to disagree here. I I don't like this particular exchange because we saw we saw Jean multiple times come through over the course of this whole thing, where she right, you know, help me you know finish me right you know i can't control it to you know to i just think this is out of character for gene gene would know right what what has happened well you know no, come on. The, she, the would, she wouldn't say like kill me but you know to be like phoenix me why huh what did i do yeah but the professor has just just not not even five minutes ago sat there and pulled a big super mental whammy on her head her her mind is Swiss cheese right now, and as time goes on, she'll be able to put things more in frame of, of reference and, and remember things. But she's not going to sit there and all of a sudden remember what Phoenix did, especially when Phoenix has been cut off from her. You know, that's a really good point, and Dave, I take your point. I, I really understand, but I think Brian really came up with a good thing, and especially if you look ahead to what we can now of the Phoenix Untold story and even the what-if issue, which I think was probably based on some of Claremont and Byrne's ideas, mm-hmm. as to the character of Jean after the lobotomy, she probably truly doesn't know what's going on. Uh, Xavier probably shut down all of those memories and removed them or sh- just blocked them off so that she didn't even know. So she's probably truly sitting there like, what are you talking about? Well, it, 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 you, you'll see on the next page that she does remember it. But only after they explain it, mm-hmm. because you know, again, she's seeing those through eyes of of a viewer now. At this point, she sees those well, memories, but she can't connect to them. It's like what when Banner couldn't, you know, see what the Hulk does. If he does see it, it's through very distant eyes. But how? But maybe Xavier had not had a chance to finish. I mean, he just finished the fight of his life to get her to kind of. Right. Depower her. Maybe he was going to then go in and clean up what he's he was he had done. This was an then, emergency measure. Yeah. Yeah. And my other question is, how far did he go back? If she's saying Phoenix, like I never heard of Phoenix, how far did he go back? Because she was Phoenix for a while, even though she if she was benevolent. Mm-hmm. So did he just go in there and selectively take? Just didn't remove that whole wipe. Maybe it's a couple weeks. Maybe didn't wipe out the whole two weeks or whatever. He just took out 
that she was ever dark phoenix look dark, it was a rush job phoenix. okay it was a rush job it was a rush job yeah, i'm sure was. he was he's like i'll i'll take care of it later you know let's See, talk I'll, some sleep. I'll, I'll buy that i'll buy that <laughs> yeah. that you know xavier would have said you know it would kill gene if she knew what she did right because yeah. remember what just one issue ago right she killed five billion people mm-hmm. um and and what we know of Jean's character, you know, could she live with herself, you know, knowing that she did that? Well, Not the Jean that out. we knew up to this point, right? right. Yeah. So Anybody, then, when uh, when uh, basically they're saying, uh, you know, uh, Elijah says, "I've got no, I have no other choice," you know, you know, we've got to take care of this because she's too dangerous. When uh, when Xavier. You know, pulls out the uh, I, you know the challenge you to a duel of honor. Uh, they may say I, my my impression of that was when Spock gets caught on uh, Enterprise incident with a Romulan commander, and he goes, no, no, I want the um, I request the uh, right of statement to kind of uh, draw. You know, mm-hmm. goes, oh, you know our ways very well. You know, that's that's the kind of impression I got when he's that he is. <laughs> that he is. Yeah. Gotta buy some time. Yep. Yeah. So some really good, but, really but that, good artwork on these pages. Yeah. Now we're still looking at the page before what he was talking about, uh, where Gladiator had given a synopsis of everything that went on. Yeah. Did you think that the two bottom right panels that you know were the synopsis of her eating the sun and her destroying that ship were they really necessary? Well, if you haven't read it, I, I mean, but if you, you, looking well, at it, it's it's almost it's very hard to sit there and really. Just looking at it to really know what you're looking at, unless you, of course, you read what it says there, yeah. of what she's doing, you know, to sit there and recognize that is what happened in the previous issues. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Remember, these were just recaps. I mean, for yeah. you, who missed 136, now you knew what happened. But for those of us and everyone well, and all yeah. the other people who had those stories, it was just a, like a quick thing. And that's why I think Marvel was so good back in this time period of being able to recap within a few panels just in case someone didn't it was their first comic but also not to drag down the story for those who have been been able to follow and get each story along so it might not have been necessary to show two panels worth but i think it because I, it was a double double this is, i think issue, this is just like uh feller just like remember when we, uh, I think it was the first uh, episode where we said, you know, why are why are Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and Silver Surfer all referring to themselves in third person? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's kind of like this to John's point. It's like, don't you remember what you did? Let well, me no, tell it, you. It, it's not even that, that that I have a problem. I mean, I'm not even saying I have a problem. I, I just noticing that the uh, the artwork on those two particular panels. Yeah, it's is, not very. Yeah, not it's, detailed. It's We're trying not to move detailed, past that. but it's yeah, it seems kind of like let's move past it. <laughs> exactly. It's it's very spare in that regard. I, uh, they probably wanted to just get right into the to the meat of the story and just yeah. get get through the recap that was kind of a prerequisite for a, a longer term story clearly, in the Marvel Marvel age at that point. So, clearly, uh, this was is this pre digital art where now they would just go back and clip those panels yeah. out and paste uh, them in you know yeah. so, so so claremont was probably like hey hey john you got to redraw this and he's like oh god damn it <laughs> <laughs> no. they, did that, they did that to john during legends i think that's one of the reasons why he left dc so quick but <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> but um the next page of course what's wolverine doing with his hands 
He's cracking his knuckles. It looks like he's yeah. cracking knuckles to me. He's like, I'm ready for right. a fight. <laughs> yeah, that's what I. That's what I thought it was. His like, face, like, his everybody face else is looking at Gene like, like, could you do? Did you do that? Oh my gosh, you did that! And Wolverine's <laughs> like, what's the big deal? Yeah. Well, Wolver- I think Wolverine is still pissed off at the Shi'ar Imperial Guard from uh, way back when in 107, 108. So he's just like, all right, you guys, I'm ready to scrap. Because look at his facial expression. Yep. His facial expression yep. is, you know what? Screw you guys. All right, you want to you want to fight? I'm ready to fight. Uh, My problem with Wolverine, as much as I love his character, is he's immortal. You know, unless you atomize him, he's always going to come back. Yeah. But but I agree that you know he he knows what's going to happen here, which is they're all surrounded. You know, uh, if he's going to go down, he's going down with his claws out, and others are losing limbs. Yeah, and if we know anything right about his character, he he is definitely loyal until the very end, no yes, matter what. Especially okay, now, to Gene and even Cyclops. As much as he thinks Cyclops is a dweeb, he's he's going to defend Cyclops because that's his tribe. Right. He's very tribal. But now, what? How did Lalandra get above the X Men in these middle panels here? Because now all of a sudden she's above the transporter pad. <laughs> it is not for you to question Lalandra. <laughs> She is. <laughs> Majestic Sire, yes, I that's, know. That's right. Mm, that is an interesting point. Okay. Yeah. She is definitely... She they definitely just, did They move. lowered it. They just lowered the platform. There you go, no prize. They probably did. It looks like it, they lowered it, or she just walked up the steps. Yeah, no prize central. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's turn the page. Who, no, wait, who's oh. that guy that's taking the little poker to uh, Cyclops and Beast there? Yeah, he's a little precocious, isn't he? I'm like, really? <laughs> he's the new me. guy in the squad. Well, he looks like a badoon. If he didn't have the Shire headdress on, he looked like a badoon. Well, I totally think that there's a wraith uh, on the f- former page in the middle panel on the right. If you look right above um, uh, Ultra Boy's head, that, doesn't that look like a wraith from Rom? Hmm. Brian, well, it, looks more, it looks like yeah. a, Vor- a Vorlon from, uh, from Babylon 5. Wow. I think it kind of looks like a wraith, but all right. Because <laughs> I'm just working through ROM right now. I've got some copies of it that I'm trying to work through. Uh, so, all right, are we done with these two pages? Yeah. 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 So, Arin and Halar for Jean Grey's Life, a duel of honor. And now this puts uh, Lalandra in a quandary because she really wants to defend the X Men because she loves them. But hey, she's the she's the queen of the uh, Majestic, so she's got to she's got to follow the rules. So and is true. is the Skrull Empire in the same galaxy as the Shi'ar? Because the Shi'ar is in a completely different galaxy than Earth. <laughs> You know, I'm not really quite sure myself on where the empires of the Skrull, the Kree, and the Shi'ar are and how they intersect. Is, is, is there, I mean, was in Ohatmu, was there ever really anything that described that? Because I, I don't recall it. I think and, there's a um, map somewhere. There's a map somewhere, but it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, my, my bigger question is why have they invited the, the Skrull and the, uh, the Kree? I mean, this seems to be like this is a, Shi'ar uh, problem that they seem to be trying to take care of. Uh, they're not voting on it. They're not uh, uh, inviting the uh, the Kree, the Scroll, to come in and kind of weigh in on a decision. So I don't even know why there are two representatives there. Why it's uh, was it R- Rak- Raxor and Beltan? 
maybe they knew that you know this is kind of like the the courtroom, right? So they, they knew they were going to be passing judgment. So here's your representations from the other Could be. races. So, so the scrolls are from the Andromeda Galaxy. That's what Ohatmu says, but I'm going to look at uh, the Kree, and then I'll look at Shi'ar if it gives me anything on that. So go ahead, talk some to yourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do think it's funny that you introduce these two kind of minor characters that pop up later, the, the Kree and the scroll, who have their little kind of little bickering fight here. And I love that kind of smirk on the on the Kree's face that the scrolls kind of you know having a fit, and he's like, and basically Yolanda says, "Well, then fine, just stay here. You don't you don't you don't have to to watch." Mm-hmm. That that's later picked up. Burn tells that whole story that we're going to get into later when they they kind of attack each other. They tell tell the story we don't see. It was in a uh, FF annual number eighteen. It was a FF annual? Okay. Yeah. That he did in 84, so like four years later, he kind of resolved, you know, told us the, the end of their story. They'd been fighting for, like, was it days or years on on the, on the moon? Oh. oh, I have to pick that annual up again, because uh, I don't remember that. Uh, I'm sure this is just a definite representation of the period of time where it was this uneasy alliance uh, with, like, between the United States and Russia – here you have a kind of a similar thing. Yeah. We've already introduced these big span, these space-spanning empires of the Kree and the Fantastic Four, or, or the Kree, the Scrolls and the Fantastic Four, and now the Shi'ar and the X-Men. So now we have to kind of find a way to make them be able to coincide in some way. So it looks like she, uh, Lalandra is trying to negotiate some, okay, truces where you stay in your place and we'll stay in ours and they stay in theirs and we'll just kind of do this. So I think there's this uneasy alliance that we're seeing here. Well, it does also bring, sorry, go ahead, Brian. Well, it said it brings them in, as you were mentioning earlier, that the X-Men up to a certain point were always kind of in their own corner of the Marvel universe. They occasionally would interact with somebody else, but not as much as the rest of the books. And this helps bring them in that, yes, this is a corner of the Marvel Universe that if you're not reading X-Men, you may not know about them because you're not seeing them in other books. So it helps bring them all into one big um, one mm-hmm. big playground. Yeah, the cosmic playground. Now, the, I, it says I, I the Kree are from the greater Magellanic Cloud, the Skrulls are from the Andromeda Galaxy, and the Shire are from the Shire Galaxy. So even though they're that far apart. <laughs> very, very, very creative naming. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but even though they're that far apart, they're still well aware of each other and have to function as allies. Well, that's a heck of a communication device they can if they can get FaceTime it's, from it's Galaxy the to Galaxy. <laughs> it, it is the Instalink. Now, I'll tell you Uh-oh. something else that's really, really funny. So I went to a hot move, Volume 2, to look at the Shi'ar, and one of the images they have must be from one of the earlier X-Men stories because it's definitely dr- drawn by Dave Cockrum. And it's the bridge of a Shi'ar battlecruiser, and it basically is the bridge of the Enterprise. <laughs> you got the captain sitting there in the, in the green wraparound shirt with his one hand there right by his chin, and you got all the others sitting around him. It's hilarious. Yeah, I, I that was that did not go unnoticed. That was probably like from issue ninety seven when Eric the Red showed up, and. It did not go unnoticed back then that it was like, hey, this is a Star Trek uh, <laughs> Enterprise ship. Uh, because uh, that, And that just shows you the influence of Star Trek and how cool everyone thought that was. Yeah. So, 
Well, I mean, everybody now nowadays everybody's turning their living room into the bridge of the Enterprise. They got the big screen. They got the big chair sitting in the middle. Okay, you know, I do, I, but not everybody. Else. It should be. If yeah. I had a spare room that I could just turn into an, an Enterprise Bridge Theater, I would do it. I'll, I'll just put that out there right now. So, okay, so we have Empress Rakil. Uh, I don't know Rakil. Uh, right. Asian. Yeah. Anyway, I like I like her. I think she's pretty cool, actually. And I thought that in the Captain Marvel movie, uh, that the wife of one of the scrolls in that movie should be her daughter, escaped from the the throes of Galactus. So I thought that would have been cool. But anyway, so, uh, so two things on this page: William Defoe is like her husband or her bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then. Uh, this version of the Supreme Intelligence, which is another kind of uh, character that's gone through lots of evolutions, right, as to what, you know, the representation of the Supreme Intelligence. But Fat Albert when on I, steroids. When I read this, and I still read it this way as, as a full-grown adult man, I picture someone with no neck, right, like the X-Men will fight regardless. These terms are a stubborn breed, but honorable. <laughs> Their word can be trusted. You know, <laughs> that is funny, Dave. Very good. Did Did y'all ever read the Flash in the days of like Bill Messner Loeb's, and um, when he was when he was writing it before it was definitely before Jeff Johns, you know, did any writing, but he had a character in there called Chunk, who <laughs> <laughs> basically looked like that. Did you do the truffle <laughs> shuffle? I, I I think you'd be afraid for him to do that. <laughs> I get kept, more. Of a, I think I, he kept creating quantum singularity with his body ripples. I get I get kind of a uh, uh, a boss nass kind of voice coming from the supreme <laughs> intelligence. You so I love here how I love here how Lilandra loses her temper and just kind of shows that. She ain't got time for this with the scroll down there. She's like, you know, I'm here for one reason, to end the Phoenix threat. And, you know, I truly think that Lilandra, if if what Charles had done truly ended the threat, she would have been okay with that. But she knew that that wasn't going to do it. So she's like, you know what? Mess with me and your life is forfeit. So she was about to pull the earrings out and go down with that dude. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, don't mess with Lilandra. She is not the little uh, the damsel in distress that she we thought she was when she showed up in X Men ninety six or ninety seven uh, with uh, to Charles, and she definitely has uh, become the role that she needed to be with her person with her people. But she also wants to be uh, her the mate to her to her love, which is Charles. So. On the next page, she's like, your gambit was successful. So she knew Charles gamed the system here. And full and fully, I think she's intending to say, you know, we've got to do whatever we take. There's just no way that, that Phoenix can live. And it's killing her. I think this is really, really uh, heartbreaking for her. And I love the detail in that top panel, even though it's in shadow. Mm -hmm. She has removed her helmet, so she's speaking to Charles not as Empress, at, but as Lilandra, his yeah. his friend. Yeah, much more personal. Yeah. It's, so th th a little detail like that kind of goes on noticed until you actually start 
I think, start really looking at it closely like we do, which is why I love the podcast so much because we go into those kinds of – and you, you two go into these kinds of details, Brian and Tim. It's like pointing that out uh, finally noticing, and I didn't never noticed it before until I was looking at it for this. Is like she removed her helmet. She's not impressed when she's speaking to him at this time. She's speaking to him as – and to the X-Men as – her their friend and ally and i think she truly kind of hopes that they win but she knows they mustn't yeah and that's the th- that's the thing i think she's she's so torn between as you say she wants to go to charles and comfort him be with him because of the way she feels about him but I, I thought at one point she said but now i'm the empress i have to have kind of a heart of stone i can't i can't i don't have a luxury to say you know i have to look over you know my entire kingdom or whatever, whatever her, her, you know, they have to protect the galaxy yeah. from Phoenix, you know. I it like, probably does say that somewhere. I like Beast's little turn there, though, because, you know, at the top window there, he's sitting there talking about how the professor had no right to issue the challenge and all their names. But in the next panel, he's like, you know, we can't let you condemn one of our own without a fair trial, you know, basically letting him know he's going to, you know, fight for her rights. Her right to party? Mm-hmm. To party. Yeah. Hey, I want to bring he up. He is a beastie you, boy. <laughs> before, before we leave this page, yeah. Uh, when uh, oh, what the heck's her name? Raquel. I'm gonna call her Raquel. The uh, Skull Empress is saying she has no problem with it, uh, provided that the X Men are not permitted to win. You know, just to make sure, I'm gonna send one of my guys along as an observer. Does she? You think she's implying that because of Lilandra's prior? relationship with charles is she might either cheat or be more favorable for them oh for sure for sure i mean she's uh, not uh, dumb, right she's a ruler that, yeah. yeah she's she, another ruler she knows that you could be more lenient yeah I, and I, I if, I, if, if yeah. I if i remember the story of raquel she i think she had to kill her husband to become empress because not, he, not he, william he, defoe <laughs> no, 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 definitely no. Someone before that's how she became pre- empress was she killed her husband who was the emperor, so she knows uh, she knows how to rule and she is she's a tough ruler and I think she totally and she knows the relationship of Lalandra with the X Men. There's probably no doubt that yeah. across all of the three or more galaxies that they know that because of the I'm sure this. You know, there's no doubt that the story of the Emkron crystal has gone throughout the universe, and the story of Deken, knowing uh, actually probably Raquel probably liked Deken. She was probably like hoping he would win, but so so she totally thinks that that Lilandra is going to game the system on this. Sorry, I just picture your your love has spread throughout the galaxy. We all know of your love for Charles. <laughs> which she which which uh, she does right. I mean, she goes like we. We're moving forward. Previously, she goes behind the scenes, right, with the helmet off, basically, you know, trying to to plead with them, you know, um, as you would expect, right? you know, kind of the here's the public persona, here's the personal persona, right? This is her public face, her private face, and you know, I think anybody would be in a hard position of, I mean, look, look what Jean did, right? I mean, even as much as you trust Charles, would you want to let Jean? You know, be free with the even the smallest possibility that she could flip back to Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. What is it Bruce Wayne says in Batman v Superman? If there's even a one percent chance that he might turn, we have to be. 
uh, we have to absolutely take him down. I can't. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, that no, but that's, that that is the essence of what he said, and I always yeah. thought that was just the stupidest thing. But that's me. I got, I got a little bit more empirical question here. On the top of the page, there you see Lalandra talking to Charles. She's got the helmet off, like like you'd pointed out, and that's Gladiator standing there at her side, right? Yeah, I would assume so. He's yeah. got his symbol right there in the bottom of his cape. Yeah, you know. But the next uh, two panels down. Lalandra's sitting there talking to him, and she's got Iraqi next to her. Well, he's probably there somewhere. He just hasn't. But Iraqi's not in the above panel at all, so he had to have walked up somewhere in the meantime, I guess. Yeah. Behind her, it's it's just like that threw me off right there because I was sitting there looking at him, going, "Is that Iraqi or is that no, no, that's, that's Gladiator because it's got a symbol on it." Yeah. No, the I think that. G. <laughs> I, yeah, I believe uh, Gladiator is her personal guard. Iraqi is her advisor. So right. when she's in her official duties, the two of them have to be with her at all times. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Iraqi's so, the hand, hand of the king, the hand of the queen. Yeah, he's the king. <laughs> yeah. So is like Jean's room like the ultimate? Is that the same room that Clark and Lois had in Superman Two? <laughs> you got the little fire there. You got the, the the round bed. It probably rumbles and everything. <laughs> I, you know what? I didn't. I didn't even notice the bed before. But yeah, it's uh, very fantasy suites. Yeah. And yet, so, Cyclops isn't there. Cyclops is not there. So she, thinking about this, you know, leading into this, she's like the duel begins at dawn, which it was already nighttime when they had this battle. So that's not very long time for them to rest. They're in space. Dawn can be any time. Uh, that's true, but, uh, you know... She, she, she basically says you have a day to reco- to rest, to recover. Yeah, that's not so. a lot of time. I'm still thinking it's not a lot of time. And uh, so here we are moving into this, and yeah, we've now, now, now we're moving into several pages of each, a lot of character... And a lot of development and contemplation for each person. And I think this is really good text here because it really gives time for us to pause as readers and think, where do we fall on this, on the side of this? And at 15 years old, you know, I wanted, I just wanted to see Gene live because I love Gene Gray and I love the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Now as a 50 plus year old man, I'm thinking, okay, now there's some some deeper things to actually contemplate and think about. And it'll be interesting as we discuss those contemplations from each perspective of the characters, because uh, Claremont and and Byrne through his artwork and his co-plotting are very good at telling the story and providing those different perspectives. So we can start with Jean herself, the central character here thinking, Man, I was terrible. I was beautiful. I was terrible. I had this power. Did I do it? I think she's still working through her memories there. Uh, what's going on? What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think she's. Uh, I think the all these the the individual little uh, scenes we get with all the characters is is nice because it's based, as you say it's it's they stand in for what the uh, us the readers are thinking if we've read this whole series you know series going up to this. And they kind of they're kind of our voice about what would you know what would it's not it's not black and white. I like the fact that it's not they're not just well she's our teammate she's not responsible uh, you know leave her alone she shouldn't be punished. They're going through the same thing because they know that life is not black and white. There are shades of gray and you 
two. And I think this is the change that from the alternate dialogue, right? When when they decided they were going to kill her off, this is a dialogue that's changed, right? Because they yeah. were just talking more about whether they were going to survive the battle. Now it's more, you know, do we have the right to do this to Jean? Should how, what side should I fall on? So you know, I, I give him credit for for at the time this essentially being still thought of as a a kids book that they are they are tackling some pretty heavy uh, issues. Layers, layers here. Yep. You know, as, as a kid, right? You got to some of the Claremont walls of text, right? And you just go, mm. okay, yeah. <laughs> Nightcrawler talking, okay, Angel saves him. We got a naked Wolverine and Beast, you know, and okay, yep, keep moving. Okay, where do we pick up? But yeah, it, it is a deeper layer here as to each character co- trying to come to terms. Yeah, and I think that's as best that's they good. can. Yeah, and if you. If, honestly, if you want to kind of skip over that and get to the fight, as a kid, you can. You've got some great pictures of uh, Nightcrawler uh, doing his little acrobats, and then mm-hmm. you know you get to see kind of a hairy Wolverine if that's your thing. And you know, <laughs> had y'all never noticed that guard at the bottom of Nightcrawler's little workout room? No. Uh, yeah. Oh, interesting. I guess anyone, you know, yeah, you see him at the bottom panel too, and Angel's taken down. This is the first time I noticed it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the club workout room. That's right. You know, it's a facility. It's open to all. You got 15 minutes. No longer. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Make sure you don't stay over your time. I guess I I always was more drawn to the bottom right with Beast. Um, yeah. The masseuse, right? He mm-hmm. says, you know, well, hello. Yeah. I am your masseuse, sir. I have been sent to look after your every need. Oh my stars! There's your like, oh my stars and characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna rock your world. Right. Yeah. I did yeah. think this is interesting. You never see superheroes like you know showering up, I and mean, they, they they I'm sure they're all sweaty, and they're sure they all stink. So I'm sure they would you know they they're dying to get into. It. I don't know why Beast taking a bubble bath, but uh, yeah, because, have, you have to take a long time to rinse all that soap out of his. You know. He's Hank. That's that was Hank at this time. I think there's probably been other examples of him doing the same thing. I I love this iteration of Beast. I love the Bronze yes. Beast. This is the best version of Beast, uh, in my opinion, because he's a, just a little bit of both. Back to Nightcrawler. I love that they keep him in character. With we get the most exposition out of. Nightcrawler and Wolverine because they're both so contemplative and it's just a really great way to just a lot of story, a lot of a lot of dialogue uh, here, but it's it was really good with Beast and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And and um, as a kid, uh, I loved I loved the shower scene with Wolverine. It was kind of <laughs> as the as the person who is uh, is not of the straight persuasion, uh, this was pretty awesome for me. <laughs> this was the start of your sexual awakening. It was like, whoa, this is awesome. I love love it. Yeah, I showed that you, to my wife. Get, I showed that tight. to my wife, and she looked at that, and she goes, he's so hairy. Yeah. <laughs> I've always loved the way Burr has drawn the hairiness of Logan, because it looks very realistic, because you does. know you've seen people that, le- that are like that. Yeah, missing links. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. Well, and then on the next page, right, you get the fully shaved Colossus. I don't know why he doesn't have any body hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Russian. You think he'd be pretty hairy, but uh, yeah, 
He shaves and exfoliates before going to bed. Yep. He beats his body with birch branches. <laughs> he, he, gets so, yeah, good, so, he gets a good wax. So now we're on morning, even though it doesn't say it, it, but the story really conveys it well. I mean, you know that you've some have decided to do whatever through the night and take advantage of the day that uh, Lalandra gave them, and here we are in the morning. I like how uh, Piotr's uniform is just laid out so neatly so that he must be pretty ocd that we didn't ever knew about before uh and he wears tight whiteies yeah if if he changes into his armored form and he's not wearing the uniform do the blue pants still disappear what well colossus's uniform it's got the blue pants on it if you look at Uh it sitting there but whenever he turns into colossus the blue disappears so like Unstable molecules. Unstable molecules. <laughs> oh I my gosh, you are so right. You know, I never noticed that before. That I just is... thought this page was funny because, you know, like I guess we're to believe that Colossus is kind of sleepy-eyed, right? Is it done already? Have I slept uh, the whole night through? And then he's just like, hmm, he's talking about, you know, thinking to himself. And then <laughs> the third panel in, we get this just, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. Like he goes from just like, oh my gosh, you know, man, I must have really been tired to, you know, let's do this. Like he just <laughs> immediately, immediately is is armored up, no mess. Yeah, and, it, and what it does is for someone, they say this is your first X Men book. You get to see, oh, this is his power, you know, because it gives a little explanation as to what you know it becomes uh, of nigh, you know, nigh invincible organic steel. So. I guess get going yeah, to get that hotel coffee. You know, he wants to make sure yeah. he's not going to get shanked. <laughs> yeah, you know, he wants, he wants to look it, good. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Brian, because it definitely does each each of the interactions with the characters here, in some way, does demonstrate their power. So it is showing the first time reader, whoever just happened to walk by the convenience store spinner rack and see this awesome cover and say, "What the heck is that? I'm going to pick that up." Now they know who the characters are because each one does actually show what their abilities are. You've got Angel rescuing Nightcrawler after he's looping around that. Uh, Wolverine snicks his, uh, his claws out. Beast is just Beast. Uh, now we've got Colossus showing his armor. And here on the bottom right, we've got a Storm you know, manifesting her elemental powers. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, the only ones we don't is uh, Cyclops and Marvel Girl, but yeah, it's kind of interesting how they just kind of, in a really subtle way, yeah, re-explain who all the X Men are for yeah, that, the that was perhaps Tim that un- noticed that, though not me, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't care. I'll, I'll I, spread the I'll yeah. spread the credit around. No, I it love was it. Dark, it was Dark Brian. Yeah, <laughs> and I I love uh, Storm here how she it just belies her character as to how connected to Earth she is and her powers are part of the elemental forces of the the planet. Burn gave her a big old booty too in that first panel. Oh, <laughs> she's laying very seductively, you know, like. <laughs> she was hopeful. Maybe Gladiator would come by overnight. Storm. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and again, again, right, making sure to stay, you know, with uh, the set standard, you know, when she's not using her mutant abilities, she's got her beautiful, you know, blue eyes. Blue eyes, yeah. Yep, and then when she uses them, right, they're all whited out. Yeah. She's warging. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so here's where the X-Men definitely contemplate the questions that we as a reader should have about Phoenix and what she did and, and the whole situation. And now we get to Cyclops brooding and looking over Earth. And yeah, that, that about, is Florida, right? That's uh, the Florida Peninsula and Cuba and the yeah, I think Peninsula so. there. It's just it's not quite that, right. Yeah, it doesn't look right, no. But the other thing about this image, though, Cyclops is in basically the eyeball of the giant bug. And from what we were led to believe in previous issues, that was supposed to be much larger than what we're seeing here. Or is this I a the eye, I think ship? It, I think it's, the eyeball is... Is that other bubble you see that's that's a little further down? I think this, this yeah. is more like a, an observation port that's on the side. Yeah, I think it's just an observation port. Oh, okay. I do like how when he, he, he turns around and leaves and the thing closes like the portals in Alien. Mm-hmm. Like an iris. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Going and through his thing. Then Jean shows up in her Marvel Girl costume, which oh, we didn't... Oh, that's what it looks like. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we didn't know before when is this the garment you asked for, which uh, was presented to Jean, and and now she has uh, the Marvel Girl costume, and uh, you know I really like this costume. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I always liked it in a Supergirl sort of way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the, now this right here, the the kiss between Cyclops and Jean. As you look through X-Men books, this particular shot is, seems to be redone on more than one occasion. It does. It, it seems to be a popular Kiss image angle. of this. Yeah. And yeah. I tell you, when I, at, the, at that age, for a couple of years, I looked around and looked around and looked around for sunglasses that looked like that. And, of course, they weren't red. But, I, you know, I did find dark, you know, dark sunglasses that were exactly that shape. And, of course, I... I usually saw them being worn by people that were over 80 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't or, look nearly or, as cool on me as, I, as I'd as i hoped they would. <laughs> or or go go to the eye doctor and get your eyes dilated. I have to do that. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, so here we are. We've got Jean showing up to as Marvel Girl. Uh, apparently... She has been scaled back to her Marvel Girl position before Phoenix. Uh, so she realized that at some point. So she must have been experimenting to know that, or she had some discussions with Professor uh, to know that she still is a telepath. Uh, their psychic rapport is still in place. And I don't know, the Cyclops look like a burned Cyclops to you? It looks totally like not him to me, like not burned to me. Does that... Is it just me? The the angle of his face or something? Uh, that middle middle the middle panels on the far right he doesn't quite the the yeah. one in the middle is looks absolutely burned. But when he's yeah. turning to talk to her, yeah, the way he's got his mouth, it looks a little yeah the little off. The, the chin it almost I I'd almost think it was the elongated man, not Cyclops. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like an elongated man. Yeah. yeah, but it's definitely a burned female uh, in the pose of Marvel Girl there. And then we're back to normal. So, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, Jean expresses her um, reasons for why she wants to go out as Marvel Girl, and he, they declare their love for each other, and then we uh, move on. Yeah, (laughs) and then we move on to later, uh, and it's it's time. Uh, Next page, it is definitely time to get it going. 
you know, just seeing that kind of bug flying around like that, you always worry that there's going to be a really, really giant hand that's going <laughs> to swat it. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the infamous panel that got redrawn. And I always felt this panel didn't look like Burns' work at all. The, the X-Men in the background, Colossus, Storm, especially Jean. <laughs> you mean the, the big schnoz on Jean and the <laughs> weird eyes? Yeah. Yeah, it's not they even close. They don't look right, and Angel looks so, so weird. Yeah. Looks like he got hit in a stick right between his eyes. But the original drawing, of course, was Gladiator there. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Cyclops and them were talking about honor and whatnot, and just like, okay, yeah. Well, look at Cyclops' glove. Look at his hand. Yeah. He's out to shake it, shake hands, and Warren ain't having nothing to do with that. Ouch. But well, I do like, and not to jump back where we were, but I do like when that scene where uh, Marvel Girl's coming up to him that she herself is asking Scott, is this worth it? You know, am I, if, and maybe I am uh, guilty, and maybe you guys shouldn't be going through this. So, I mean, even up to this point, she's having her own doubts. Mm-hmm. She's not pleading with them to, I you know she could easily say I I was on I wasn't in control you, I'm not responsible for this I you know I'm not you can't uh, hold me accountable but she's she you knows she that, may be danger. You would hope anyone that's not a complete narcissist, right? Which Gene is not, would be wrestling with this decision, right? Because ultimately she could I don't want to say force him, but she could say, look, I I don't want you guys to fight for me. You know, regardless of whether I was completely in control or not, it's not fair for you to put your lives on the line to protect me after all this that I've done. Yeah. You know, and that that would be a hard thing. I mean, that would be a hard thing for, I think, anybody, especially, you know, for her, you know, outside of her her family. I mean, she spent a lot of time with the team, and so they are like her family, and there's a real possibility that, you know, they're not going to make it out alive of this 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 could be the end for them but that reinforces the x-men as a family that they're gonna go out mm-hmm. as a family they're gonna yep. face this 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 situation as a family they're gonna deal with it as a family they're gonna possibly go out as a family or they're gonna be victorious as a family uh because like, like scott says you're you know you're not evil i mean she's not evil right so but that's okay. yeah I, 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 can we go to this next page? Yeah. I'm beamed over to the blue area. Now, have you all looked at the, the image from Fantastic Four number 13? Is that the Red Ghost? The Red Ghost story, yeah. Because that's where they first we first see the blue area, the moon, and the Watcher's uh, home. And this shot here, of course, is just you know a modern-day representation of what Kirby did. But it is, of course, so freaking gorgeous. And yeah, that that looks like a Native American in the back yeah. more than an Easter Island kind of thing, doesn't it? Looks like a stereotypical wooden Indian face. Mm-hmm. But this, but is it is a great gorgeous. shot. Yeah. It makes them look very unimportant. It does give you a I sense love, of scale. I love how they're all mm-hmm. looking around and taking it in, and that first, like like Colossus is sitting there looking up in the beast, and <laughs> everybody's just like, "All right, let's sightsee for a few minutes before they get here." And Wolverine's too short, so he's not in panel. <laughs> I didn't notice that. It's <laughs> great. Well, it's nice because Colossus, I mean, uh, uh, Cyclops is being the leader and, and the st- strategist that he is. He's, he kind of immediately 
goes into, you know, command mode. Are they standing on grass? I don't think so. Well, it looks like grass. Yeah. Mm. Not on the moon. I'm sure it's just colored green to show contrast where they are. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and you know, if you look to the right of them, you can see some of it sticking up. I think it is supposed to be some type of foliage. Yeah. Because it's... down down below there, below the drop off, you can see more green, and it's darker. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, a little exposition there. They're alone. Yeah, they're thinking about things. Let me turn the page, and the Imperial Guards show up and with a flash of light, and Warren decides to take a look. And the second panel there, to me, just really is a nice upper perspective, and they're moving into action. You can see them starting to do something, even though it's because Warren's being... Dumbass and <laughs> flying into space because he forgot. Hey, there's there's air here, but what? I didn't realize it wasn't going to last for very far. And low gravity. Yeah, I do like the way Burn has drawn his wings, is kind of flailing about. Yeah, and all the the feathers are kind of separating. Right. And it looks like he got spider sense there too. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's yeah. shock and surprise, but it's, yeah, that's um, shock and surprise. That I'm a dumb dumbo. Um, that's, that's I'm about to die. That's I'm about to die. Since there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but storm to the rescue. But, but and look, he really um, made quite a leap because he's quite far away from them. Yeah. And uh, storm grabs him by the wing. That's got to hurt. Yeah. And, and she's having a hard time too with the, with the effort of trying to create environment there or weather there is that she's not as strong up there in the blue areas as she is on Earth. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting that since she taps into the elemental energies, uh, they're either saying that there are some elements on Moon, or there's something beyond tapping into the elements of the Earth. But, yeah, if she's able to create that there, that's pretty interesting. Burn yeah. definitely has mastered the I-feel-stupid look on the face. <laughs> you look at Angel in that little pattern on that next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, in in the, the the third panel next to the Angel, is are those little specks supposed to be the Imperial Guard flying? Which which panel? Okay, you see Colossus and Wolverine, and Wolverine's asking, "Do we make a stand, boss?" And then off in the uh, distance, there's all these little, little like it, it's like scratches on the wall. But is that actually the Imperial Guard flying to? come out and go after mm. the X-Men. It would have to be awfully far away. Yeah, that would I, don't, be really far I don't away. think that's what that is. I think it's just more more texture, because when you see them pop in, they don't seem that far away when Wolverine's pointing at them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I've always wondered about that in, in that particular panel. And the look on Colossus's face is, is one of those that where it's, <laughs> it's, it's like anger. It is just like he is so intense. Yeah. <sighs> You don't really? normally see him with that look on his face. I kind of got the the feeling that he was like, "Boss, we're kind of screwed here. What do you want us to do?" <laughs> but yeah, it, definitely a lot of expression there. So they yeah. So they split up and then kind of pair off. Split up in the teams. It's time to um, figure yeah, out. That's always a good idea. Right. <laughs> and make it make it make it go. How they know what they know, where to go, yeah, that's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, this is like the site of a plane crash, right, where they, they say, don't don't leave the crash. 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, they were kind of better off just staying where they were, you know, in a, in a defensible position. But, you know, comics, right? So they're going to, you don't know if they're going to try and find some kind of escape. But clearly, as evidenced by the next page, they immediately find themselves in trouble. And yes, because as we move on, immediately we get Sunburst, Oracle, I think it's Manta and Smasher. Yep. Or Starbolt, sorry. Starbolt and Smasher. Uh, finding them quite quickly. And Zark is apparently the sound that Cyclops' blast makes at full power. Zark. So, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the third panel, bottom in the left. Third panel, and then in the fourth panel, and Wolverine goes, you guys hear that? Sykes firing his optic blast at pretty near full power, too. There you go. I, that's what I was wondering. Just, I didn't. I never occurred to me that his... his Optics would make any sound at all, but I, I just, always I always envision them making us. I mean, it's it's a it's when a it laser hits something when it hits yeah. something. I but mean, it's, it's pure hot. force. It, no, it's pure force. Is oh, is like gosh. how Burn not described this, it. Yeah, not this discussion again. Nope. Okay, I'll <laughs> that, shut up that's, now. That's a <laughs> yes. That is kind of a weird sound effect, though. I would not. I don't think I even picked up. You know. That that was a reference. It it made a noise, except unless you could hear it pushing the air aside or something as it goes. Um, It's not a very masculine sound effect, is it? Zark. (laughs) Zark. Zark. Art of here. Zark. Well, (laughs) apparently flames make a foom sound. (laughs) They might as well have just put in, like, pew pew. Yeah. Hey, Foom was a great magazine in this day. Yes, it was. Foom, foom as a sound effect has some power, right? That's like, uh, you know, like foom, like something heavy. <laughs> Did Zark. anybody pick up on uh, at this bottom page when when Beast runs into the robot Warstar that their names are Benny and Cecil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up. I knew the names were some related to something. I had to look it up, but I didn't realize it was a kid's cartoon show. Yep. That I did not know. So I we've actually got mentioned some... mentioned it like two issues ago, but I mean, I, I again, you know, it's like Benny and Cecil was something I remember from my childhood, but I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. So sorry. So we're, we're right into the the throes of the battle, and the X Men definitely have their hands full in all cases, and definitely uh, John Byrne tells the story. I mean, pulls this pulls you through the book. Almost to the point for me, I don't know about you folks, but to the point where I don't even want to read bubbles. I just want to like, what's going on? And then I've got to go back and read the bubbles because I want to see what's going on. But the storytelling is just so great here that you're just pulled through. You don't even want to slow down looking at at thought bubbles or word balloons because you want to see what's going on. The action is so good. Well, in most cases, you you can read it without any dialogue you could still follow the story you'd be able to tell what's going on i think so yeah that's the measure of a good of a good comic book right is you know because it is the meeting of two mediums right the written word and the graphic medium art you know art and i agree with john that this this is a um particularly this part you wouldn't have to read any of the bubbles and you can tell what what's happening right who's winning who's losing yeah uh, top of the panel on the opposite page there where uh, Colossus um, punches Warstar, that's got to hurt. 
right right in the junk too. And it makes that a, has got to hurt. And it makes a bomb sound. D O M. And immediately one of them pops out. I don't know if that, yeah. maybe that's that <laughs> White War Star didn't end up in a bundle uh, of um, drooling goo. I don't know, but that's a pretty tough dude. Then if he survived that. <laughs> So, next page, Storm and Wolverine get taken off into their own set of adventure here. They get thrown off the off the story panel by uh, uh, Gladiator yep. with a big old rip. And further separating the X-Men to create a little bit more of a story here. And we end up with uh, Storm on her own and then further separation with Wolverine. Can't keep my balance. Holy Aurora. And he, he ends up in some place. And there is vegetation. Look at all those trees around the top middle panel there. I got to ask a stupid question now. Okay. Okay. So here you've got this alien from another galaxy, but his name is Earthquake. Yeah. That was my question. Why would he call himself Earthquake? I, I actually asked Burn about this. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Uh, well, okay. I didn't. I didn't ask him directly. I commented on it in, in the forum as it was part okay, of the okay, discussion. Okay. Okay. Another guy asked him. No, no. I but I did make the comment. Why do they call this guy Earthquake if he's an alien from another galaxy? And Burns said, "Earth isn't the name of the planet. It's Earth. Earth is the name of the ground, the dirt. And anywhere you go, they call it Earth." When you translate it into English, yes, it probably would be Earth. Yeah. So. Yeah, calling him earthquake <laughs> no. works. That, that was Burns' explanation, no. and I go, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll this, accept in that. In his native tongue, it's <laughs> but it's just like, it, but to me, it's, it's it's just as wrong as when someone calls another star system a solar system because our sun is called Sol. That's the name yeah. of our sun. So we're the only solar system. All the other ones are star systems. Yes. Welcome oh, back yeah. to Galaxy Cast. Or yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Quasars to, and pulsars. The more uh, you know. <laughs> Welcome to Nova. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. But, you know, Storm, I love how she, you know, like, even though she's having such a hard time there using her power, she is not holding back. She is going to sit there and scare the crap out of somebody. And she would have been very effective if she hadn't gotten snuck up on from behind. From by the dominatrix? Oh, God, the ugliest dominatrix thing. She's got hooves. <laughs> I didn't notice that before. She's got yeah. hooves. She's hardcore, Hussar. man. She's and her, name hardcore. Is, her name is Hussar. Or Hussar. Yeah, Hussar. Hussar. Yeah. I always read that as Hussy. Every time yeah. I would read this, I read it as Hussy. Oh, I think you're supposed oh that to. Hussy. <laughs> well, and look at her, right? The fourth yeah. panel down. You know, she's picking up Storm by her hair, too. Like, ouch. Like, that, yep. I mean, that's really a low move. Well, she's Pick somebody the, up by their hair. She's got the countenance of a slaver. Mm, yeah. You know, the way she's, she she uses a whip, she's got, you know, the way she's standing there. Yeah, she's sitting there looking and going, this will take you a fair price. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's uh, something else. She's got, like, the uh, the ultimate Hulk Hogan hair, you know, no on, none on top. Yeah. And super long in the back and the sides. <laughs> Yeah, that is one hideous woman. That's the first time I've seen John Byrne dry hideous woman. <laughs> Shows you his talent. Uh, back on the first page, the other page. I love the effect of Storm in the bottom panel. So simple yet so effective. And he even took the time to draw some detail to show you, even on 
her face as minuscule and uh, basic as it is that she's determined. So you really show the power there. On this panel that with Hussar at the bottom, you get one of my my very personal favorite super effects is the what I call the Neil Adams effect, where you see Marvel Girl on the bottom with that sort of translucent coloring and the way that the effect is around the use of her powers. That's very reminiscent of when Neil Adams drew the X Men originally in the Xanox affair way back in the the late 50s or early 60s numbered issues and i love this i love this style of drawing of using a power i thought it was i thought it was really cool i love it i love the callback to neil adams if that's what he intended if he didn't that's what it makes me think of but i really like this style of of showing her power there oh yeah i agree it's pretty cool it's kind of an outline, almost a color book type, coloring book type effect. There's no, the shading is all done by colors. There's no heavy, heavy line work. Yeah. Like in pastels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shades of it. So, and battle continues. We've got someone fighting somebody, and uh, commentary, of course, by Nightcrawler. We're holding our own. That's about it. They know they're evenly matched. Turn the page and. Uh, I think we're starting to see a turn in the tides of uh, the battle between the the Imperial Guard and the X-Men. The, uh, the Imperial Guard are starting to uh, team up I mean, and yeah. realize, okay, you know, we can't just do this one-on-one. We've got to start collating our forces if we're going to do this. Well, it's easier for the Imperial Guard since all of them are able to fly. Apparently, they've got Legion flight wings. That's right. Like <laughs> well, so, those personal tra- those personal force fields, like Star Trek has. Yeah. You see that yellow, it's around him. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I do like on the top of the page that Nightcrawler's kind of uh, uh, questioning his own ability. You know, he calls himself he's just a glorified acrobat. You know, he can't doesn't have a range weapon. All of his uh, maneuvers are worked out with uh, either Angel or Aurora. So that you know, he's he's got some self doubts creeping in there because if you think about it, he other than his, if he right. can teleport, he is just a glorified acrobat. No, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the Hawkeye on the team. Yeah, you know, and take away his bow and arrow, and you know, all he's got, right, is he can he can. Uh, I'm sure he you know he's got a great martial art ability, right, yeah. fighting ability. But yeah, I mean, he's he's not Cyclops, right? He can't shoot, no. you know, heat and or some type of physical beam. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna call BS on, on Nightcrawler here for just a moment, and I'm gonna use as an example a movie, the first several minutes of X Men Two, when oh. Nightcrawler attacked the White House, and you saw how he sat there and took out all those people all over the place, up and down, left and right. That was a perfect Nightcrawler scene, and there's no reason he can't sit there and teleport in front or behind one of these people and take them out. Mm-hmm. He's done that, and he has done that before, uh, where he does like multiple jumps, like multiple he's showing jumps him and jumping, punches, punching yeah. people at the same time. I think it's showing him to be more, at least a little more rattled. He's up against, obviously, against foes that are a little more powerful than what they're normally yeah. used. He sounded different. They're all super-powered beings, and the example you give in the movie, which, by the way, comic universe versus movie universe, two totally different <laughs> things, um, they were all just regular Joe Blow Secret Service. Right. You know, here he's got people flying around, 
right? You know, he's he's probably aware that his teammates are getting pummel as well. The low gravity's uh, got to be screwing up his acrobats. Yeah, uh-huh. you know his 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 stronger allies, his stronger teammates, they're getting their butts kicked too. Yeah, and so it would cause some self doubt, you know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Plus, we have to remember the characterization at the time of Nightcrawler. At the in the Bronze Age in this time was he was very insecure about himself and he also was not very confident in his abilities and his his worthiness of being a part of a team. So this just plays into those insecurities yeah. that Kurt had at the time, mm-hmm. which is really cool that they maintain those things in this and and hey you know you put. You put the four of us in a situation like this, one of us is going to be like, what the heck am I doing here? I'm scared to death, you know, and I'm pissing my pants while someone else is out there battling it out and going crazy. And two other guys are trying to strategize out like Reed Richards or something, you know, just as an example. We all react differently to something when it comes down to this is the battle of our lives, which for him, you know, he probably thought, yeah, this is the battle of Gene's life, but I might die too. And what am I doing? What can I really contribute to this? So it's really kind of cool that that they brought this aspect into uh, the story here. I think it just kind of adds a humanness to the story. Yeah, no, I agree, and and that's a that's a really good point. And I'm going to interrupt right now and say that uh, I think we should put this. Man, those guys can talk. Wow. Hey, this is Brian Hughes. Uh, Just to let you know that since this is a double-sized issue and we have been talking for so long, we are definitely going to go ahead and break this up into two pieces. But don't worry. We're going to have part two of this out next week. In one week, we'll have part two of the uh, issue 137, The Fate of the Phoenix, right here, Third Degree Burn at 2TrueFreaks.com. I can't wait. No place to hide. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men... 
just want to watch the world burn.